it is in our human nature to struggle with authority. Uh, If there's ever been a day and age in your life, I think probably the last year or two, uh, we have felt this more and more. Struggling with the authority that is in charge. You know, our natural instinct seems to be to find distrust in our authority. They might tell us what to do. They might actually be able to bring punishment, but can I really trust them? Can I trust what they're going to say? Can I trust that they've made the best decision for me? Because I know me, and I know what I would do if I was in that position. And it's often difficult for us to find trust and encouragement in the authority that is over us. You know, this isn't a terrible surprise. I think we start with this when we're about two years old, maybe three. I know with my own kids, I love them. They don't often trust my authority. They don't often want to hear what I have to say. And yet, I am their authority as long as they are in my household. And that struggle is real and it is there. But it's not just parents, is it? It's as a student, you have to sit under the authority of a teacher and listen to them and and hear what they have to say. Maybe you struggle to listen to your doctor who wants to give you advice and wisdom, who is an authoritative figure, and yet, can you really trust them? And not surprisingly for many of us, thinking through the reality of our current culture, it's difficult to trust those who are in government and leadership above us, to trust the police or to trust a politician. Why would we not just implicitly trust the authority that's over us? Why is it hard for the authority to build trust for those who are under them? Ultimately, that's because we recognize that all the authority that you and I are familiar with in this life is broken. It's because authority has failed us often. As as a child, my parents, in ways at times, failed me. They broke my trust. It had to be regained and rebuilt. Those that are in authority over us at times make the wrong decision. Not purposely at times. They're not always corrupt in that way, and yet the reality is that authority is broken in this world. And so I wonder what it looks like in your life as you face those authorities that are above you and you wonder what does it look like to submit to them, to recognize that they're in charge. Can I do that? It's really hard. And maybe I've made peace with the fact that they're in charge, but it doesn't mean I have to like it. Maybe I can respond in a way that's holding a grudge, that's frustrated that they're making those decisions, that they're guiding in this way. It can be hard to need to submit to authority and recognize that I'm not in control. What about God? Can you trust him? Can you submit to his authority? Is God actually in control? And if he is, can I be glad that God is my authority in this life? Can I rejoice in that? Can I be happy that God's in control? You know, maybe the reality is that even if we had the perfect authority over us who is not corrupt or broken or not making bad decisions, we still find it hard to submit to that authority. We still find it hard to give ourselves to the reality that someone else is in control. 
We are people who want to maintain control of our own lives. We want to run things the way that we think they should be run. And today, as we approach this text, I want us to walk away with one idea and to impress in our minds the need to trust our God who reigns. This morning in Psalm 93, we're going to see this one idea to emphasize, trust our God who reigns. You know, I don't know what your relationship with God looks like today, but I trust that his word will either bring confrontation or it will bring comfort to you as you consider that God reigns. So turn in your Bibles to Psalm 93. If you're new to using a Bible, the Psalms are right about in the middle. They're in the Old Testament. And we're going to look at Psalm 93. There are only five verses here, but we're going to take time to settle in to what does God's word say to us and how should we respond to God's word. There are two ideas uh, within this theme of trusting God that I want us to think about, two aspects of God. The first is that God reigns, and the second is that uh, is God's character. So we'll see God reigning in majesty and, and eternality. And we will see God's character is trustworthy and holy. So we'll get to those two points here in just a moment. Let me read Psalm 93. The Lord reigns. He is robed in majesty. The Lord is robed, enveloped in strength. The world is firmly established. It cannot be shaken. Your throne has been established from the beginning. You are from eternity. The floods have lifted up, Lord. The floods have lifted up their voice. The floods lift up their pounding waves. Greater than the roar of a huge torrent, the mighty breakers of the sea, the Lord on high is majestic. Lord, your testimonies are completely reliable. Holiness adorns your house for all the days to come. Well, let's look at the first four verses here and consider that God's reign is majestic and eternal. Here, the psalmist starts out with this strong and aggressive, in one sense, but uh, proclamation that the Lord reigns. Here, he focuses us on one idea, this statement, that the Lord Jehovah reigns. He is in control. He is over all. One way that this was described by Don Carson was that God reigns in everyone, everything, every event, every item, every matter, Every thought is finally subject to that sovereignty. That God is in control of every event and everything that happens in this world. He reigns. He sits on his throne in authority, in the position of honor, in the position of awe. And that reign is described here. He is robed in majesty. The Lord is robed, enveloped in strength. And here I want to make sure that we're clear on this idea of being robed. These are not characteristics that God puts on and takes off. This is the idea that God is clothed. It is part of who he is. It is his essence that he is majestic, that he is strong. Psalm 104 talks about this. It's a very parallel passage. Lord, my God, you are very great. You are clothed with majesty and splendor. He wraps himself in light as if it were a robe. This brilliance that comes from God sitting on his throne in authority over all creation, that he reigns and he rules and his majesty causes us to respond. 
I wonder what majesty means to you, what that looks like. You know, I think of most clearly, we, we, we think, I think often of rulers even in our world today. Think of the royal family when they show up in an event. They bring with them a a certain sense of awe, of honor, of respect, that they are in control, that they are the authority. And with that comes along with a sense of beauty, of who they are, of, of what they are accomplishing, the role that they serve. But maybe for you, it's, it's not people that you find majestic. Maybe for you, it, it's like me being able to listen to the Royal Philharmonic Orchestra, play Gustav Holtz, movement Jupiter from the planets. You sit and you listen to this music and you wonder, how did, how did he come up with this? To put those sounds, those instruments, those notes together that just make your soul well up and rejoice that this is beauty, this is awe. Or maybe like the time that I stood before the Grand Tetons. I don't know if you've been there. It's majestic. Oh, you stand there at the base of these mountains and you look and you realize, I I can't get to the top of this. I, I can't control this mountain. It is miraculous. It is amazing. It is beautiful. Oh, the awe of God's creation at times that makes us think about majesty what is beautiful, what is in authority, what stands above all others, what stands above me. But here, God's reign isn't just described as majestic. Here in the other part of verse 1, it's enveloped in strength. The, The idea of God's majesty is that it's strong, that it's steadfast, that he cannot be shaken. Oh, this is the type of ruler that I want. Not someone that just demands honor and respect and awe, but someone that is unshaken, that cannot be moved. That's the authority that I want in my life. But here, I would argue, the rest of verse 1 and the beginning of ver- and the rest of verse 2 help give some clarification to what does his majesty and his strength look like. Well, here it's described in the creation of the world and that God is eternal. The world is firmly established. It cannot be shaken. Your throne has been established from the beginning. You are from eternity. Here is the beauty of creation. God created. And what God created cannot be shaken. Oh yes, in the midst of seeing our world decay and fall apart, the reality is that God himself sustains it. Hebrews 1.3, he's sustaining all things by his powerful word. He maintains his creation. God is engaged with his creation. He didn't just create it and let it go. No, he continues to sustain it. It is firmly established and it will not be shaken. But verse 2 helps emphasize for us the reality that God maintains his authority over his creation, his throne has been established, and it is for eternity. Oh, from time past to future ahead of us, God has maintained control of his creation, and he will always. This is what it means to be described in strength, is that he maintains 
that control. He remains the authority above his creation forever. Now, this is something that's beyond us comprehending. Because everything that we know in life ends. Everything. It has an expiration. But not God. And that emphasizes what his strength looks like. It is not limited. It does not have an end. But it lasts for eternity. And here, as we're given the description of God's majesty and strength, our eyes are turned to an illustration. In verses 3 and 4, we're given an illustration of God's authority over his creation. Now, real quick, I want to just briefly kind of point to to three things. I want to read these verses and kind of point to three different ways to to think about this text and why I think particularly one way about this text. So verse 3, the floods have lifted up, Lord. The floods have lifted up their voice. The floods lift up their pounding waves. Greater than the roar of a huge torrent, the mighty breakers of the sea, the Lord on high is majestic. As we think about the words here, floods or waters or sea, uh, there are different ways that we can approach this throughout Scripture. We saw an example of this over the last couple of weeks as Michael preached in Revelation. We saw the language of waters that stood for chaos or turmoil or the nations coming against God. There are some who would interpret this text that way, recognizing uh, how this refers to the nations who would rise up against God and yet God maintains his authority over them. I find that interpretation difficult in that it feels like it pulls away from the intentionality of this text, uh, and we have no other mention of God's enemies within this text. But that's one legitimate way to read this text. The second way uh, is to think about this creative aspect of the floods, the waters that have come against the land. Uh, This is described in that Psalm 104 passage that I referenced just a moment ago, where Uh, The psalmist writes, he established the earth on its foundations. It will never be shaken. You covered it with the deep as if it were a garment. The water stood above the mountains. At your rebuke, the water fled. At the sound of your thunder, they hurried away. Mountains rose and valleys sank. All right, so in that text is describing what we could see as creation, as God separated the waters from the land, his power over creation and the authority there. But I would argue that in Psalm 93, this text in verses 3 and 4, is being used as an illustration, something that's tangible, that is recognizable to us as something that we can't control, something that brings awe to us. The waters, the floods, the oceans being lifted up. Maybe for you, that view of water going over your head, it's more than you can bear. Here, the, the idea of a huge torrent, breakers that slam in the sea. Similar imagery is given in 1 Chronicles 16 where David is singing a praise and he says, The world is firmly established. It cannot be shaken. Let the heavens be glad and the earth rejoice. And let them say among the nations, The Lord reigns. Let the sea and all that fills it resound. Let the fields and everything in them exult. Uh, There in 1 Chronicles we see an image of the waters and the seas proclaiming the glories of God, that he rules and reigns, that He deserves the praise. And I think we get the same image here that reminds us that God controls even the waters of this world. For me, this immediately brings to mind my time in Pacific City, Oregon. I don't know how many of you have been there. 
beautiful place. I'd encourage you to go visit. Uh, if you have been there, you might remember there's a large sand dune on the north side of the beach, and you can climb to the top of that if you dare. You might be a little tired, as I was. And then as you go over that sand dune, you get to look down on the other side and see some caves or caverns that are right there in the water. And those waves come in, and they slam against the rocks over and over and over again. And you can feel in your chest the power of those waves hitting the rocks, realizing if I was down there, I'd have no hope. I have no control over that. The power and the might that is brought to mind. And yet here in this text, we're told God reigns over that. God's power is firmly established. The Lord on high is majestic over this, the waters of the sea that you and I cannot control. And as we think about and look at God's reign, I just want to ask you and consider whatever is going on in your life today, whatever you brought into this room, in your heart, at this moment, just stop. The Lord reigns. That truth will give you perspective no matter what you face. That truth will force you to deal with the reality that God is the king of this universe. That he is over all things and he controls all. Do you ignore the things that God has put around you to remind you that he is in control? I find myself doing that. I forget. I get distracted with the things that are around me. Who do you think reigns in this life? Maybe that's part of what you've forgotten is you think you're in control. I'm guessing you probably realize that's not true in light of pretty much anyone's life circumstance. We don't control what happens in our life. But I wonder if for a moment you have forgotten that the Lord reigns. Maybe you think that some other authority, your boss, the government, a parent, maybe you think that they have complete authority over you. They might have authority in this life. God controls even them. And so I think the question we have to ask ourselves is, if the Lord does reign, and he does, am I willing to submit to his rule and reign? And can I do that joyfully? Oh, here is a psalm that is glorifying and rejoicing in God's reign that he is in control. Is that the song of your heart? Is that the song of your life that you can rejoice that God's in control and I'm confident and joyful in that? Well, God does reign and we have to grapple with the reality that he is ruling and reigning and that should be a joyful and good thing for us. But why? How does God's rule and reign give us confidence in this life? You know, not every authority, as we've established, does good for me. Not every authority is right. How can I trust God? Well, as much as we look at God's majestic and strong rule, as we remember that we trust our God who reigns, we want to look at God's character 
that God's character is trustworthy and holy. So secondly, in verse 5, we're going to see God's character is trustworthy and holy. We're given two assurances of a good ruler. Let me read verse 5. Lord, your testimonies are completely reliable. Holiness adorns your house for all the days to come. Oh, here, in light of what the psalmist has been singing about, he brings assurance that this God who reigns is a God that we can trust in, and he is a God who is holy. You know, when we think about what we want in an authority figure, if you remember the introduction, we want someone who is trustworthy, that says what they're going to do, and that's what they do. Or that I can rely that they have my best interests in mind, and that they're going to fix the problems that need to be fixed. And yet the reality is that because authority in this life is broken and we're sinners, we don't get to see a perfect example of authority until we turn to the truth of God's word, where we see throughout scripture that God is trustworthy, that he is someone that we can rely on. He is someone who has our best interest in mind. And here the psalmist used this last verse to put an emphasis on the reality that, yes, the Lord reigns, he is majestic, and this is joyful, and you can trust him. And he is holy. See, as man fell into sin, God promised to his creation that he would send a son who would deliver his people, who would bring them back into a right relationship with him. And throughout the Old Testament, we get glimpses of that promise being renewed. No, a Messiah is coming. A Savior is coming. And perhaps, even for those who are living throughout the Old Testament age, we're doubting, is that true? Is God really in control? Because I don't feel like he's in control all the time. And we get to the New Testament, and we see the birth of this man, Jesus Christ. The Son of God. Who is the promised one who was bringing about what God had promised in the Old Testament, what God promised to accomplish. And Jesus Christ, the Son of God, lived his life and he died and brought about salvation just as God had promised. But how? Was it just because he was a great guy? Is it just because he claimed the name of God? No, it's actually because Jesus Christ himself fulfilled what psalm 93 is talking about oh he was trustworthy and he was holy everything about him was holy he was the spotless perfect lamb and he became sin for us second corinthians 5 21 he made the one who did not know sin to be sin for us so that in him we might become the righteousness of god oh jesus christ himself is the one who is trustworthy and who is holy And that changes everything. Uh, Because what we imagine as the most majestic thing that we can think of in this life, of mountains or seas or authorities in this world, oh, it's completely reshaped by the cross because it was the one, Jesus Christ, who came in this life perfect and holy and trustworthy, who died on the cross, and that is the display of majesty for all of us. It was death for you and me that our sins could be forgiven. That is the ultimate display of God's majesty, that he would sacrifice himself for you and for me. 
to rejoice, to praise God that he did a work that I can't do. He resolved what I couldn't resolve. He's in control of what I can't control. I'm a sinner with a broken relationship before a holy God. And he resolved that at the cross for me. Now, my friend, if you are here this morning and you have not trusted in this truth, that Jesus Christ is Lord of all, that he is God, the creator, who sustains this world, and he died for your sin, I encourage you today, repent and believe in him. Trust in him for salvation. He has resolved your greatest need. If you haven't believed that message, you can believe that today. I would love to talk to you about the truth of the gospel. I'd love to pray with you to think through this. Or talk with somebody that that you came with. Talk with someone sitting near you. It's the most important message in the world today. But for you, believer, who have trusted in Christ, who have this hope, who take this joy that the Lord reigns, that he is majestic and he rules, is that a comfort to you? Do you find him trustworthy? Do you see him as holy, who has your best interest in mind? Can you continue to trust in his word? You need to daily remind yourself of the gospel. This is what we do. We preach the gospel to one another to give us hope when we've lost perspective, to give us hope when we forget who reigns. I want to take time just to to bring application to this, to force this into our lives a little bit, to think about what is the reality of God ruling and reigning in my life. What does that mean? I wonder for you if there are things in your life that feel out of your control. Maybe that is a relationship, a marriage, a child that you can't control. You can't make them do what you want. You can't make that relationship work correctly. Maybe for you, it's sickness that controls your life. It's chronic illness. It's, it's this pandemic. It's fear of getting COVID. It is terrified of, of not being able to live the way you want to live. It could be cancer. It could be Your physical health is failing, and you can't control it. Maybe for you it's the weight of life, of keeping expectations, of work, of what your boss requires of you, how you need to succeed, of making enough money. It's financial pressures that you just can't seem to get on top of and control. Maybe for you it's the practicality of fighting against sin. You just can't seem to get control of that sin struggle. Oh, my friend, if there is hope for us today, it isn't the reality that God reigns, that he is in control, and that he gives us hope in the midst of sorrow and pain. Ephesians 6 talks about the fight that we're in, where we're reminded by the Apostle Paul, finally be strengthened by the Lord and by his vast strength. Well, how? Put on the full armor of God so that you can stand against the schemes of the devil, for our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers of this darkness, against evil spiritual forces in the heavens. If you thought that the struggle that you're facing was difficult, just realize that it's probably bigger than you expected. I hope that's not a discouragement. 
But the reality is that we're fighting a spiritual battle in this life that you and I will never have control over. Except that God reigns. And as we are found in him and we are putting on his armor found throughout scripture, we're strengthened in his might. We are better prepared to fight against sin. We are better prepared to face the things that come against us in life. It is in that hope that we recognize I don't have to be in control. And that puts my life in perspective. Because God is in control, then I don't have to control how a frustrating life circumstance plays out. I'm not the author of it. I don't have to resolve it. I should be diligent, absolutely. I should be wise. And yet I should leave the control and guidance of those things in God's hands. Because God's in control, those uncontrollable things in my life, uh, it actually means they're there for a purpose. I might not understand in that moment why. I might not agree with them. I might not love them. But God's using those things in your life to teach you, to grow you, to remind you that he's in control. See, the things in our life that we can't control, they remind us who is in control. And because God's in control, I don't have to fear the outcome. I don't have to fear what life's going to throw at me. I don't have to be concerned that I can't handle it. The reality is if God has prepared me for that and he's placed me there, if he controls the seas and the world around me, he controls that very circumstance. And that gives me joy. It reminds me that God reigns and he is the best king that I could ever hope for. He's the authority that I need in my life, bringing me back to himself. And so I wonder for all of us, does God's reign actually cause us to rejoice? Oh, I look at this psalm and I read it and I hope that many of you are reading it this week and rejoicing in your heart. Praise God, he reigns. I don't have to. My circumstances don't have to. God rules and reigns. I can take confidence and hope in that. Is that message quick on your lips? Are those observing your life realizing, oh, you have a hope in something greater than yourself? You have a hope in something that's eternal, that will last forever, that has eternal implications. Oh, that's the message that I want others to hear. That's the truth that I want to be first on my lips. Not that I'm resolving all my own problems, not that I can fix everything in my life, not that I control and have control on what's happening. Oh no, it's, it's with open hands that I can hold those things and say, even if things are going well and they're joyful and wonderful, no, God still reigns. And I want everyone to hear that message. We speak of God's reign with those around us, a witness to the gospel. I wonder what your witness looks like in this life, in what's going on. Rather than complaining about the authorities in our life, rather than bemoaning what has happened, yes, express sorrow, express pain, and yet turn my words to words of rejoicing and proclamation that God reigns. And what I want to remind you of is that if you're in the midst of this battle for who or what rules in your life, you need a text like this to remind you that God reigns. You need to turn your eyes towards the king. You need to nurture eyes to enjoy his majesty and not despise it. 
You need to nurture eyes that focus on the Lord rather than your own struggle and lack of strength. You need to nurture eyes that desire the truth of God's word that reminds you of who he is. And to walk with other people in this congregation, other Christians who love you, who want you to have hope that God's in control. Oh, when we walk with them, they help us turn our eyes to the king. In conclusion, I want us to think about this statement by C.S. Lewis. In the Chronicles of Narnia, sixth book, he writes, uh, this is the silver chair. Right at the end, these uh, strange group of warriors, so to speak, have trudged through the underworld of darkness, of despair. It's been a very dark journey for them. And they finally break out, somewhat victorious, and yet it's clear that things just aren't quite right for them. They're in the light. They're with Narnians. They're very excited. And then, Lewis writes, They turned and saw the lion himself, so bright, so real and strong, that everything else began at once to look pale and shadowy compared with him. I wonder, Christian, is that your view of who God is? He rules and reigns. Do you stand with others and gaze at the glory and the majesty of God? And everything else fades away. It seems dark and gloomy. It's pale in comparison. Oh, look at the light of Jesus Christ on the cross who saved us a God who reigns and rules. Don't make false idols out of the things in this world. Don't put false rulers ahead of your life. They are a mockery to who truly reigns. Look at the Lord who reigns. Look at the mighty, the majestic, the eternal king, and trust our God who reigns. Let's take time to pray, to consider these words. And as you reflect on the reign of God and how it puts your life into perspective, consider how it changes the way that you live this week. Our God, we rejoice that you indeed reign, you rule, you are the authority in this entire universe. You have created and you sustain. And God, you have done that for eternity. There was no beginning to you. There will be no end. And in that, we take great confidence that we can rejoice in the work that you've done. Lord, you've allowed things into our lives that are good, that are wonderful. Lord, that we wouldn't take credit for those things, but recognize that you are in control. Lord, you've allowed things into our lives that are difficult and hard. Oh, Lord, that our eyes would be turned to you right now, today. That we would be able to trust in you knowing that you are trustworthy. That you are holy. That all that you do is good and right and perfect. And so we can trust in you. That you reign. Lord, that that would be a great joy and a comfort to our hearts and that we would proclaim with our tongue to the watching world that you are king. We pray these things in Christ's name. Amen.